Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Svedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hi, everybody. This is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to another edition of Marnie's Friends with our guest today, Sarah Beckman of sarahbeckman.org. We're going to be talking about some speaker training today. The title is Seven Secrets for Getting Referrals and Aspects. And this hour, you're going to discover the surprising insider secret you may not know about meeting planners, two benchmark standards to employ to be certain you stay on the right track, Two questions you must never lose sight of in your pre-speech preparation. Three simple mistakes many speakers make when crafting presentations and how to avoid them. The two surprising tools every speaker should use. Four rules to follow when choosing on-premise and on-stage attire. And the number one thing that detracts from your message and the three ways to remedy it. Our guest today, Sarah Buckman, is a great one for teaching us all this because she's a certified trainer at four conferences and freelance speaking coach. She delights in serving clients and her passion shines both behind and on stage. Her audience describe her as transparent, honest, and engaging, and her website is sarahbeckman.org. Welcome to you, Sarah. Thanks, Marnie. Thanks for having me. Well, I've been looking forward to this because this is you've got such great content here for all of us. And, um, you know, one of the things that I talk about is that with, as a speaker, there are groups that will never invite you back just because they never do. They They just have policies or rules about it that they don't invite people back. But even those groups sometimes make an exception. And then there are all the groups that don't have rules like that who basically go by, did they love you or did they not love you? <laughs> and were you, were, you, you know, were you the cat's meow or were you not? <laughs> so right. what you're going to help us with today is to kind of identify what's going on in the head of an event planner when she says, this speaker we're having back or this speaker was okay or good or whatever, but probably not an ask back. So maybe, Sarah, just for the listeners, sake, just give some background about your own speaking experience and um, what led you to be a speaker. Oh, yeah. Um, interestingly, it was a sort of a uh, – I started speaking as at my church just for fun, if you will, and over the years – people kept telling me, maybe you should be more formal about this vocation. And I, of course, was raising young children and hadn't thought of it as being a vocation or a calling or a ministry. But I ended up uh, following the Lord's prompting and went to the SCORE conference, which at the time was called Dynamic Communicators. Uh, That was around 2007. And It really just affirmed my desire, and I felt Hmm. God's calling for me to be a speaker. And then I've been doing it ever since and and went back to be on staff at SCORE, and since then have taken on private speaking clients as well. So cool. So cool. Well, I'm excited to dive right in because we've got a lot of ground to cover in this hour. So first of all, you have a little secret. It's the surprising thing 
that uh, most speakers maybe don't know about event planners. So spill the beans. Yeah, it's very interesting because you would think if someone's hiring you, uh, they would know what they were looking for. But honestly, the secret is you'd be surprised how many planners don't have a clear objective for their event. But they'll be mad if you don't meet it. Mm-hmm. And I say that because they're busy a lot of times worrying about the food and the decorations and who's coming and the registration and the sign-ups and so many other details. And then they just check a box that says, I got a speaker. And they might not be really thoughtful about what they hope to accomplish in their event. Um, that's It's hard as a speaker if they aren't clear about what they want. But I would say that that's our greatest opportunity to help them find it and be sure that we do because they might not recognize it, but if we don't meet their objective, then they won't bring us back, even if they didn't ever state their objective. So it's our job as a speaker, someone being hired, to be sure that we're clarifying the objective and then we know that we can meet it. Hmm. We're going to just right now go ahead and talk about the two benchmark standards to employ to be certain you stay right on track. But one of the things that I found when I first started womenspeakers.com, which is way back 2002 now, um, I was having at that time I had all the speakers send in a cassette recording of them speaking. And Uh so I would listen to the speakers, and it was amazing to me the difference. Because you had, you know, you had more charismatic, you had more, you know, teaching style, you had more uh, interactive, uh, you had humorous, you had all of these different styles. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, what if one of these speakers gets at the wrong meeting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and it really can happen. It really can happen. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's very important to understand what your meeting planner is looking for and not just go, you know, full bore in there without finding out, you know, what they're hoping for. So what are some benchmark standards to use to keep us on track? First of all, help us figure it out and then to keep us on track. Yeah, I would say that, you know, it's that conversation, that personal um engagement with your event planner and asking. Um, Last spring I had someone call me and and wanted to hire me, and I said, what is your objective? So that's our first benchmark is that we want to be sure that we're always keeping in mind our event planner's objective. Well, for this particular event planner, she said, well, I don't really know. I'm just getting together with my volunteers, and I – you know, providing them a luncheon, it's a thank you, and I'm bringing in a speaker. So I had to work hard with her to figure out what do you, what would your best outcome be, which is the next benchmark. What is the best outcome for your audience? So you need to always be keeping in mind what's your event planner's objective and what's the best outcome for your audience. In the case of the no objective talk, I'll call it, from last spring, we established that her goal was really encouragement. She wanted her volunteers to leave filled up with encouragement and hope. And and so we chose a message that was really specifically geared to embolden them and make them feel valued as a person, 
individually, not aside from the ministry they did for her and the organization they worked from. So our goal was encouragement. Um, so I couldn't lose sight of that and have my own agenda, which I think sometimes speakers do. They get their message and they get ready and they lose sight of the event planner's objective. So that first benchmark. Mm-hmm. And really for her, that best outcome was that they would leave filled up with joy and stories that made them encouraged and made them just feel good about who they were. And we chose a message that was designed to speak to them about who they are in Christ. And that was not something that she called and said, this is what I want. (laughs) So it took us a good 30 minutes to get there. But then I knew that I could achieve what she was looking for, which gets you asked back if you achieve what they want, even if they don't know how to verbalize it. It's our job to help them. So I'm listening to you and I'm thinking to put this into like a phrase that a speaker can use as you know, as a kind of a, a report card at the end, you would you would ask yourself, when the women walk out the door at the end, they will be thinking, I feel blank. And that's right. That's where you're going to know if you met the objective or not. So if they felt good, if they felt, you know, filled up and happy, uh, you would know that you met your objective. Whereas if they felt, you know, if they felt deeply contemplative um, or if they felt convicted or, you know, whatever, those things maybe once you met, (laughs) met that event planner's, criteria for success for that event. And so, so right. I think and it's pretty easy. It's, yeah, Go I was going to say sometimes it's entertainment, sometimes it's encouragement, sometimes exactly. it's actually dissemination of information, teaching or persuading. You you need to know exactly. Yeah. Right, or revival or whatever it is. Yes. Um, and you need to you need yeah. to comprehend what they're calling you in to do before you start trying to do it. Well, there's a couple of questions um that we need to just keep in mind while we're doing the pre-speech prep. Um, let's go ahead and dive into the first one of those. Yeah, and it really plays right off of the benchmarks so that we're staying on track, and it has to do with the best outcome for our audience. Um, I always ask myself, what do I want my audience to do when they leave? And you just alluded to it perfectly, Marnie, just now. You know, how I want them to feel blank, or I want them to take action in this way or I want them to change their life X way or learn how to or whatever it is that our objective is for them when they leave the presentation. I'm never satisfied if someone just thinks I'm funny or or even tearjerker or any of the things that maybe audiences give us when they're finished or that speakers look for. That's not enough for me. I want them to be doing something when they leave. And so for me, I want some sort of action, even if it's um, that they just felt better. That's some sort of action. You know, they walk out with a lightness to their step, just like you said. So what do I want them to do when they leave? Maybe I want them to um, buy something or go on a trip or love their neighbor better or whatever it might be. Um, that's what I have to keep at the top of my mind. And when I'm writing my speech or my presentation, I have to keep sight of, yes, this is what I would want them to do when they leave my room that I have them in. 
Um, yeah. And the next question is, who are they? <laughs> who is my audience? <laughs> so um, we can dive into that, Marnie. I know that you understand this very well because you have a, such a diverse audience on your show, right? Right. And it is it is really important to... Um, to really clarify who's going to be there, I like to ask. I like to ask the question: Can you just describe your gals for me? And what's fun is that you get all kinds of interesting responses from. We're kind of a young mom Starbucks group, all the way to yeah. all the way to. We're mostly senior citizen gals, um, and they love quilting. You know, I mean, you you have every every kind of imaginable answer to that question. But what's interesting is that your event planner knows your event planner knows who's coming and uh she can really help you to nail it. Yes. Yeah, and if we don't take the time to really think about who they are and know who we're talking to, we could tend to let's say we had a canned talk that we've given many times around the country. Well, a certain presentation in Minnesota might feel really different in Texas. <laughs> so you have to know the culture that you're speaking in. You have to know um, who they are, and you need to personalize even a talk that you've given hundreds of times. If Some people have a business where they give a, a similar presentation around the country. And it's so important to make it personal because they are smart. Your audience is smart, and they can sniff out a canned presentation a mile away. <laughs> So I, I ask myself questions, and there's just a few that I would suggest that if someone's taking notes that they want to write down, this might be helpful for them as a starting point. There's so many other questions we can ask. Um, but in order to define our audience, we can ask ourselves things like, what do they love? Um, like you just said, do they love quilting? Do they love coffee? Do they love homeschooling? Do they love corporate life, I mean, we need to know what what things they're connect with, and we can use that to our advantage if we take the time. Um, love it, love it. This is, this is, um, this is, we're going to take a little break here. This is Marnie Sledberg. We're oh, visiting yeah. today with Sarah Beckman of sarahbeckman.org. We're going to come back and go through those 10 questions that you can use to help define your audience. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Womenspeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit Womenspeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Christian Women's Events. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian Women's Events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or Type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, 
click event planner training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg. Our guest today, Sarah Beckman of sarahbeckman.org, is talking with us about the seven secrets for getting referrals and aspects. We are on number three, which are some questions that you can keep in mind to uh, make sure that you're right on track with what the event planner is hoping and looking for in your talk. Sarah, you mentioned right before the break to ask yourself the question or ask ask your planner the question, what do your what does this audience love? What define them by what they love, what they love to do, uh, where they love to go, um, what do they love? What's another question we can ask? I would say we could ask what they're afraid of. Uh, you know, maybe they're mm-hmm. end of life stage and they're afraid of having to go to a nursing home or maybe they're about to be empty nesters. Maybe they're about to be new moms. <laughs> uh, maybe they're going back in the corporate world or, you know, just that sort of emotional intelligence that we need to have as speakers about who is sitting in those chairs. We should never treat them as just this blank face. We need to really know them and when we do, we'll connect in a different way. And, again, that will that gets aspects or referrals. When we connect on a way that people don't even necessarily see, it's not a visual thing. It's just a way of connecting with the audience that really makes a difference. Sarah, these questions are so helpful. I can't wait to get to the rest of them because what you're actually giving us here is the tool to help the planner clarify what she really expects, what she really needs. And, when I wrote the book, uh, Retreats Made Easy, my number one thing for the retreat planner was to find out what the women expected. Because if you go in and you throw a terrific retreat, but it isn't what they expected, you will not get high ratings. You Even if right. it's great. We, we have this unspoken thing going on in our heads, especially women. And we have, if it's not what we're expecting, we really, really struggle with that. And these questions are so great to get kind of down to the core of who the women are and then, you know, what she's asking you. Okay, in light of this, what is she asking you to bring? So we've got what do they love, what are they afraid of, what's another one? What are their struggles? You know, there's a lot of times that we forget that our audience uh, doesn't necessarily receive that great, hopeful, amazing message that we want because they're in the middle of struggle or crisis. <laughs> and if we don't at least have a sensitivity to that, um, you know, we could put our foot in our mouth, first of all, or second of all, we just we just won't know the heart of who they are. So maybe it's parenting young kids that's their struggle right now, or, you know, they might be fraught with, illness or disease or maybe they're maybe you're speaking at a church that's in the middle of a fracture or you know there's so many things that it's important to know what they might be struggling with I think about all the communities that have stuff go on in them um, floods or uh, maybe a teen death yeah. or you know I mean you have these things that are behind the scenes that you don't know unless you're asking right yeah uh, we can also ask what their life stage is. And, and I think this is really important because there's many times, and you spoke about retreats, Marnie, 
there's many times that you will be speaking to an audience that has someone in every single life stage. And it's important that you don't only speak to your life stage when you're addressing them. Because it's very easy, as we know, to speak from our own life experience. I'm raising teenagers. I have a kid in college. That's where I just tend to go to. But I have to be very intentional, especially in groups of women that are larger, because you will have you will have single women that aren't married. You will have women that have faced heartbreak that want to be married. You will have women that have new babies or women that have lost babies or new moms or teenage moms or grade school moms or empty nest moms. And, and you know, the same goes for if you're doing a mixed crowd audience, you even more so need to know their life stage. But I think that's something we can miss, and we isolate our audience when we don't speak to something personal about them in our talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. Another question we can ask is, what are their weaknesses? You know, maybe it's as a congregation or as a group or just as individuals. Some some people might struggle with discipleship or Bible reading or I mean if you're if you're doing a faith topic, you need to know if they have specific weaknesses in their congregation that they might want to address that they would want you to. For example, if you're I was done topics of stewardship, which is basically about giving. So you would want to know before you go in and try and tell people to give money. Maybe a lot of them are generous givers with their money or their finances, but what if they're not generous with their time? I would want to know that before I just hit money or finance the whole talk and didn't realize that they really were looking for people to serve. So we need to know the weaknesses of that audience. Yeah, that's that's such a great one, and this one again um, will help bubble to her mind what she's subconsciously hoping that you're going to do <laughs> when you come. Yes. You know, without asking, without asking, she may have this down deep inside. Like, you know, she's maybe noticed. You know, I mean, things that I've heard in the past that the gals are getting kind of clicked. You know, we need yes. to open our arms to new people, but without you asking, I mean, she doesn't want to disrespect her group, and so. Right. A leader may not, a planner may not just verbalize these things unless you help her, give her permission, say it's your job to ask some questions to help you really, you know, hit the nail on the head. And it it just it just gives her the freedom to share what's truly on her heart. I just love these. You've got another one. Uh, what are what are the generational icons they relate to? Talk about that a minute. Well, I just think it's interesting. If we're talking about cell phones and smartphones as a generational icon and we're speaking to a group of women that are in their 70s who maybe don't even use a phone or text, we can't forget what our audience, who they really are underneath it all. Or, for example, if you're speaking to a bunch of young single girls, you need to know that they don't really care about Facebook and you might because you're in that generation where it's an icon for you, but for them it's Snapchat. Or, you know, there's certain icons that they relate to that you can use in a conversation, in a in an illustration, in contextually within your speech that just establish that rapport instantly because they you automatically gain that credibility 
um, you have that emotional IQ, so to speak, in, in that room, and they say, wow, she gets us. And then your event planner is nodding your head because she says, yes, you get us. And they connect, and they're more likely to listen to what you have to say. Absolutely. I was just on a conversation earlier today with the host that I'll be working with in uh, Africa next year, and I just asked the questions, okay, so what percentage of the women I'll be speaking to, and these are business women, what percentage of the women I'll be speaking to have access to the Internet? He thought for a minute, and he said, 10%. And I said, okay, and will they know to bring, like, a notepad and a pen to take notes? He said, those that know how to read will, but the others oh, won't. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are things that, you know, if you don't ask the question, I mean, you just go in so blind, and that's kind of an extreme illustration, but it was just earlier today, which is why it's in my head. But the reality is that every audience you go to is extremely different from other audiences you, you go to, and it's your job as a speaker to bring that to the surface so that you can nail it. Okay, so let's talk about, let's talk about the next one. Oh, yes. Um, the next question would be, what vernacular speaks to them? You know, I think of hashtags and texting and those kinds of things are really easy today in this day and age. You know, you think of Jimmy Fallon's booths about hashtag this, hashtag that with Justin Timberlake. Well, that speaks to, you know, a younger set of audience. But we need to be thinking, if if we talk in a vernacular, um, even if it's a local vernacular, for example, y'all, if you're in Texas, or I might just sound ridiculous saying that because they know that I'm a Midwestern girl that's, and they hear my Minnesota twang in my voice when I speak. But, you know, then I can make fun of myself and I can still use a vernacular that speaks to them because I've paid attention to what they're talking about, what works for them. Um, you know, elderly people, what speaks to them? You know, their grandparents often talking about their grandbabies. You know, you just need to really know. And corporate, you have to be so careful about what you use as comedy or what you joke about. Or You just have to be very sensitive to the vernacular, the type of words you're choosing, and, and being really, you can really connect with your audience or you can alienate them. Right, and I loved your idea earlier, too, of, of being careful to not pigeonhole yourself just into one. Just because you're there doesn't mean that you can't uh, pull in the rest of them, too. And that goes for the right. next one, too, which is about demographics. Yeah, it's so important to realize I moved from the Midwest to the Southwest, so from Minnesota to Albuquerque, and I lived in a very, um, I would say, fairly affluent white-collar suburb in Minneapolis. And... Um, that gets us to the next question, which is socioeconomic. So demographics and socioeconomic criteria both we have to be so careful about. Um, but it's just important to know what's their age, what's their life status, where do they, you know, where do they live geographically, what's, what kind of socioeconomics do they have. Um, so we just need to know that age group, the um, all the demographics and the socioeconomics of where we're speaking, especially if you're not just speaking in your own neck of the woods. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, your your event planner, of course, knows these things, and these are not difficult questions for her. It's just that right. most speakers don't ask them. And so right. if she pauses, 
don't worry that you're pressing her or pushing her too far. Just just know that it's not normal for speakers to ask. I, I mean, if I no. ask, you know, this is 10 questions here, and you maybe don't need to ask them all every single time. Yes. But, you know, if I maybe ask two or three of these, um, that would be, you know, that would be more typical for me. So these are a lot of questions. Yeah. Well, and it's it's great to have an idea of different questions that you could ask, depending how she answers or how willing she is, because the more information she'll give you, it also is developing that rapport with your event planner before you ever even show up at the event. She realizes that you're professional and you've taken the time to prepare and be thoughtful about who you're speaking to, not just you're a paycheck for me and when do I show up, right? So it just yeah. it builds Huge that difference. rapport with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the last and, one there is the family status. Yeah, and we've covered that a little bit in some of the other questions, depending on how she answers you. But I think it's really important. If you have an audience that's 50% divorced women, let's say, well, gosh, you sure can't alienate those gals sitting in the room. And a simple something that you might say could shut off 50% of your audience if you weren't careful and didn't realize the demographic. Not that you'd be insensitive in your presentation, but how often would we maybe just say something about the value of a husband and a wife and parenting our kids together? Well, if you're alienating 50% of the audience by saying that in that particular way, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to do that. You would want to speak to their heart and what they're feeling. Um, and same with if you are talking about your kids the whole time in every illustration and someone is single and wishes they had kids or their kids are gone and they don't relate to your stories or your illustrations or your context that you're using, you won't be asked back because you won't have connected with the audience, really. <laughs> so it's just important. And they may not be able to give you great percentages, but if there's glaring information, if there's even one or two people that have a unique status of a family status that you need to know, gosh, that will be so helpful for you. I know one of the things that I'm hearing more and more in the past few or maybe even several years is event planners who, when they're talking to me, they're saying, now, I need you to know there's a lot of hurting ladies, there's a lot of divorced ladies, and, um, you know, not by their choice, and you just need to be really sensitive. And we need to be aware of some of the, I'll call them trends, some of the things yeah. that are going on more and more in our culture and be super sensitive to that. Um, even even without being told that we need to just be aware of the fact that this is happening more and more, that um, women are being abandoned and um, that that there are you know there are hurting there are hurting women in your audience, and so even yeah. even if you're sharing like you say just a story about your life, it can really sting if you aren't doing it in a sensitive way. Right. Absolutely. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg. I'm visiting today with Sarah Beckman. We're talking about the seven secrets for getting referrals and ask backs. And we're going to take a little break and come back and talk about three simple mistakes many speakers make when crafting presentations and how you can avoid them. Don't go away. Are you enjoying every single bite eating with God? If not, visit www.eatingwithgod.com. That's eatingwithgod.com. Discover the easiest, most enjoyable way to move from where you are with food today to where God wants you to be in his perfect time and way. There are free daily bite recordings available to you at www.eatingwithgod.com 
or you can purchase the entire set of Daily Bites, 31 individual daily MP3 words of encouragement, plus the book, Gasping for Grace, 31 Daily Devotionals for Discouraged Dieters. To start moving toward your God-given ideal weight, visit www.eatingwithgod.com. That's www.eatingwithgod.com. Online training, instant access, increase your skills in the minutes you have. Right now at womenspeakers.com, you can take it to the next level with online training including specific instructions, tips, and strategies to increase your knowledge, skill sets, and earning potential as an author, speaker, media guest, manager, women's ministry leader, or event planner. Pick your area of interest and get going today. The training sets at womenspeakers.com Include over 24 modules, each 60 minutes long, focusing on practical, doable, and easy-to-implement next steps in your particular field of interest. You can purchase each set individually or join to gain instant and ongoing access to them all for one low price. Get online training today at womenspeakers.com. That's www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. You are taking training right now from Sarah Beckman of sarahbeckman.org on the seven secrets for getting referrals and aspects. Welcome to you. Okay, Sarah, let's dive in. Three simple mistakes many speakers make when crafting presentations and how we can avoid them. Yeah, Barney, this is sort of the bane of my existence as a speaking coach. And for many of us that even just sit in an audience, uh, the first mistake I think people make is having too much content. Uh, it's really hard when you're crafting a presentation and you just love the content that you've come up with and you've done, you know, hours and hours of research (laughs) and you want to give it all to your audience. But it's really up to us as a speaker to be sensitive to our audience and to do the culling out of that information ourselves. We might have to leave some really great stuff on the cutting room floor. So we have to look back at our questions that we asked ourselves early on, those benchmarks, what's our objective, what's our best outcome, and we need to match those, the goals that we have, those benchmarks have to be evident when we're preparing, and we may have to leave something behind um, as far as avoiding having too much content. Mm. That is so hard to do, isn't it? Um, We just want to cram it all in, and we just want to talk faster and cram it all in there. But uh, if we just remember, there's a couple couple pastors that my husband really likes, and they have one-point sermons. And when you leave, even months later, you can remember what they said because it was so crystal clear, and their stories matched, and, um, you know, it's just, something that you can carry with you and I I know Patricia Fripp she was been on here before and a trainer here but she she talks about she knows she has really done a good presentation when she can talk to somebody two weeks or a month later and say do you remember what I talked about and they can tell her well that's not the norm is it I mean most of the time people can't remember what a speaker says Um, and so when you are actually somebody that they can take home with them in their head uh, because you were crystal clear about it, sometimes that means that you did take out quite a bit of content in order to get that clarity. Um, when when you're taking stuff out, 
is there is there something that you want to tell people? Be sure don't take this out. Is there anything that you can give us as a guideline for something to keep? Be sure to keep. Yeah, this? I would look at your time, and most people don't actually craft an outline for their talk and figure out how many minutes each thing will take. Um, but as a, a general rule, if I have a presentation that I'm trying to make and I have 30 minutes, let's say, to give it, you know, I want to plan time for my opening. My opening is maybe going to be three to five minutes, depending on how well I know my audience. And then I might say, well, if I'm going to cover two main points, then I have 10 minutes to cover each one of them. Here's the information I want to give away about that particular point that leads us to the objective we're trying to accomplish. And here's the story I'm going to tell or the illustration I'll use um, or multiple illustrations, and you actually time it out. Or as a rule, I would say each point of your talk should be five to ten minutes. If you had 30 minutes, you could fit in, you know, two with an opening and a closing because you don't ever want to go over because you want to stay on with what your speaker or what your event planner has given you for a time frame. So as a rule, I say, you know, five to ten minutes per point. Um, and I say I go back to my what I'm trying to achieve. So if I am encouraging, I look at my content and I say, does that content help me encourage them? Or is that just a tangent, a side story that doesn't really lead us to encouragement? Um, or if I'm teaching a practical skill, do I need that content to actually teach them that skill. So you really have to go back to what you're trying to accomplish and match up those objectives. It it's kind of like it's kind of like standing in front of your closet and looking at all the clothes you love and saying, I want to wear them all <laughs> and it would just be exactly. ridiculous. Of course you would just look so dumb and uh yeah you'd be wearing them all but it wouldn't be making a statement that you want. And so that's the exactly. same thing you have to do with your content. You just have to say, Okay, for this presentation and I think one of the things that's comforting to me, Sarah, is that if I don't get to share this piece in this presentation, guess what? I'll probably be able to share it in another time, another place. And so you know, it's just easy to set the content aside and just know, okay, this is for another day. It's not in the trash. It's just not in this program. What's another mistake right. that we can make when crafting the presentation? Uh, I think sometimes we're too complicated. Uh, we run away with mixed metaphors or stories that don't fit our message or content that is so above our audience head that we're just too complicated. Uh, you know, the way that we can avoid that is by sticking with one metaphor. For example, I, I'm coaching a student right now, and she's preparing a presentation, and she's using the road of life as her metaphor. Well, sometimes when you start writing your talk or practicing it out loud, you just start talking off the top of your head, and all of a sudden you've switched metaphors. <laughs> and that's just, that just makes it complicated for your audience. They don't hear it so well when you switch metaphors. So don't mix your metaphors. You know, if you're on the road, stay on the road. Don't go to the backyard or off to the racetrack. <laughs> if you're using a toy store as a metaphor, don't take me to the candy store in the next paragraph. Stay at the, you know, stay at the toy store. Use the things that work with toy store. Mm -hmm. You know, that simple thing helps people remember, too. And, again, it gets our event planner nodding their head in the back saying, wow, 
crystal clear. They've got this. She's she's on track. She's on par. You know, we're really connecting with our audience. So you have to be sure that it also reinforces the, the subject matter. You know, you don't want a really tear-jerking story that leaves your audience just feeling forlorn and deflated and sad and remorseful and sorrowful if your goal is to be uplifting and encouraging. I mean, you know, that sounds really simple, but you'd be surprised how many times people complicate a message by mixing things and choosing the wrong story for the subject matter. Mm. That is the that is the third mistake um, that people make is just getting too emotional, either getting it too high or too low, um, at the wrong maybe at the wrong point or even at all. I, I, I was thinking back to a presentation I gave recently, and I I needed to share a very sad very sad story in the middle of it, which was going to bring home the point. And so how I, how I did it was that I prepared the audience that I was going to take them somewhere that was going to take them a few moments to process and I was going to give them time to process it because I needed them to hear the heart of the story. And it actually worked pretty well, Sarah. I mean, they were able to track with me and come back out of the valley, back up to the land again and keep going with me. But if you just pop a very heavy story on your audience um, and expect them to just bounce right back out, uh, they can't. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And what a great tip that you gave. I love that. You know, there's times when we can just help them be successful with that information that we're we're disseminating. You know, I have a hard personal story and I can tell it a whole lot of different ways. But I think what helps me is to pick out the elements of that story that are really essential to that talk. And sometimes it allows me to focus on the main points and this is what I would recommend to our listeners is that they choose the elements of that story and try to look at it objectively and say, oh, yes, it's very important to talk about losing our house because that reinforces X. Or it's very important to talk about my dad being an alcoholic because I can, I really believe this audience will relate with that. And then maybe we've established I'm like you instead of I'm just a speaker standing up here acting like I know it all. Um, but there's a way to deliver that that helps them join you in a conversation as well instead of just trying to shock them uh, or lose, you'll, you'll, you'll lose them altogether if you just go for shock value and then you won't ever get them back. Um, so you practice that story a lot and you say, oh, I, I went through five minutes of leading up to what I really needed to say and I didn't need to say all that, you know. So there's just ways to do that. And and I agree with what you're saying. Sometimes we need to help them by just even identifying, you know, I'm going to take you somewhere. I love that tip. I, I there's there's another one that I do. I, I tell a story about um, being being out in my garden, but I really hate gardening. And when I'm speaking to a rural community where most of the women in my audience do garden, I always so, I always. Uh, I always start by telling them this. I'm going to tell you a story about being in the garden, but I have to. I have to tell you that I, I know I'm going to lose about half of you right here because you're going to spend the whole time I'm talking trying to figure out how I can't like gardening, but I really don't. So try to stay with me. And you know, you just right. tell them what you need them to do, and guess what? They can. But if you don't address it, it's the elephant in the room, and they are trying to figure out what to think about right now because they're <laughs> they're trying to process this whole thing. Right. So let's quick talk about. 
two surprising tools that every speaker should use in their prep. Oh, man, I think this is obvious, but so often overlooked. The first tool is your teach. So many people don't actually stand up and um, practice out loud on their feet. And they're either sitting in their chair even saying it or they're looking at a script, reading through it, and they're not on their feet, which is where they will be. And if you're going to be sitting on a stool, then sit on the stool. But the point being, you need to use the actual environment that you will be speaking in, in your preparation, not just sitting at your computer looking at a text that you will be speaking from. So the first tool is your feet, and the second tool is the mirror. (laughs) And some people don't want to look at themselves in the mirror while they're speaking out loud, but I'll tell you, you can learn so much. I mean, one minute of speaking out loud in front of a mirror will teach you more than 10 years standing in front of audiences. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I, I always recommend that you actually videotape yourself and then sit down and watch it. And you are going to be your you are going to be your harshest critic, but that's okay because you can again you can learn more in a few minutes watching your own video than you could um, standing up and you know doing it in front of people. You just don't see yourself like people see you. I, I remember that being just a shocking <laughs> a shocking. It really bit. is, <laughs> and so often overlooked. So <laughs> A nervous habit, it's going to come out in front of the mirror. Or if you don't like your posture or you're standing crooked or your shoulders aren't back or your face, you look up to the right when you're thinking about something. If you're trying to make eye contact in the mirror, you'll know those things are happening. And it's one of the only ways to arrest them. Yeah. Yep. I was always crossing my arms, always. Just whenever I would pause, I would cross my arms. <laughs> no, no, no. Right. But you don't even realize, you know, until until you see it, you don't really realize. Another thing, of course, is just practicing in front of some friends. You know, all of those things are super helpful in just helping you identify um, some little and even some big things that might distract your audience. We're going to take a short break and come right back talk about four rules every speaker should follow when choosing their attire and also the number one detractor from your message and three ways to remedy it. We'll be right back. Money troubles got you down? Visit www.godlywealth.com to discover the fastest way to financial peace. You'll gain perspective, biblical training, and clear direction to help you move from terrified to triumphant. It's all free and available to you online at www.godlywealth.com. Not only will you learn a balanced, godly perspective about money, but you'll also enjoy scripture set to music, a wealth roster worksheet, and much more, all free and online at www.godlywealth.com. That's www.godlywealth.com. A college diploma can double your income potential, but take three to five years, over $30,000 to acquire. If you have six hours, yep, just six hours, you can increase your earning potential, success rate, and delight in life. Check out the Success Principles Intensive Coach Certification Program today at womenspeakers.com. Even just one aha moment can change the direction of your life and future. Look into the Success Principles Intensive Coach Certification Program today at womenspeakers.com under the Training tab. You can enjoy social networking success in just 15 minutes a day. That's right. You can enjoy the benefits of social media all in 15 minutes a day using Marnie's sane social networking strategies. 
Get your 30-page ebook free right now at www.womenspeakers.com. That's sane social networking success in 15 minutes a day from www.womenspeakers.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg, and we're visiting today with our guest trainer, Sarah Beckman of sarahbeckman.org. And you spell Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, sarahbeckman.org. And we're talking about seven secrets for getting referrals and aspects. Sarah, you've been just sharing such great content. We're going to go right now into four rules to follow when choosing on-premise and on-stage attire. (laughs) Yeah. I there's nothing worse than having what you're wearing be a detractor from what you are called to be speaking on stage. So I think people really need to pay attention to what you wear on stage matters. They're looking at what you're wearing the whole time you're standing there. So it's really important that you pay attention. I think that it I would is, say it's 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 pretty I think the thing that really struck me at one point was that if something is wrong with what you're wearing or how you are appearing, if something is wrong, they can't help but be distracted by it. It's just, yes. um, it, it's not that they're trying to. It's, a, it's that they can't, they're supposed to be looking at you. <laughs> so right. Beautiful. They're supposed to look at it's you, not, not what you're wearing. You don't want to detract. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's, the four rules, the first rule is to dress one level up from your audience. And this is maybe an age-old expression, but I think it's very important to be aware of what your audience might be wearing. If you're at a women's retreat and they're overnighting and they're all in sweatpants, well, then you could be wearing dress pants and a dress shirt. You don't need to show up in a full business suit because then they'll just look at you like you're crazy, right? (laughs) So one level up from what they're wearing. If they're wearing jeans, then you're wearing dress pants. If they're wearing suits, then you're wearing a full suit. If they're wearing mix, then you're wearing a matching. You know, it just is important to be thoughtful about what one level up is. Um, and, for example, I'll be in D.C. next week, and we specifically for our presentation have laid out what is acceptable because most of the people we'll be speaking to are going to be in business casual. And so we're very clearly wearing a full suit, matching pants and top or a skirt and a jacket because that would be one level up from a business casual audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next rule is to just avoid prints that distract. I mean, chevrons all in these days, but you don't want to be showing up on stage in a chevron print, <laughs> in my opinion. And a lot of people might disagree with me on this, but I think that there's nothing wrong with not having them remember what you wore. I think it's more important <laughs> that they remember what you said that. than what you wore. I mean, if they're talking about, oh, her shirt was so amazingly cute, I wonder where she got it. That, to me, is I, it's detracted from what I've had to say. And, you know, simple, solid colors, not prints that distract. No loud, dark, bright, you know, neon. I mean, you get it. But just, you know, prints that distract or even flowy fabrics that distract that, you know, are hanging down or flinking or clacking or clicking or whatever it might be. You just don't want to distract, which 
gets you back to that tool of the mirror. You need to be looking in the mirror, you know, to figure out what that thing looks like that you're wearing. Yeah, such a good tip. And I just love the advice I was given as a teenager, I think, that somebody said to me, when people say to you, oh, I love your whatever, hair, jewelry, whatever, um, that's nice. But when people say you look terrific, that's really what you're going for. You're going for a, a, a look that's all one package and nothing in particular sticks out. It's just this put-together look that you can just sit there and take in and, and it's working together, working for you. Love that. Your next one is kind of fun. You want to check your outfit before going on stage. This is always a very important one. <laughs> yeah, if you've gone run to the restroom and forgot your zipper, um, you know, when you've already been dressed and ready, but you had to make that one last dash and you forgot to pull up the zipper. I mean, you need to enlist a friend or ask your event planner or check your teeth, but you need to look in that mirror again and check your outfit. Tucked in, no tails hanging from the back, you know, the whole thing. And it's really our responsibility as professionals. We've been hired. We need to look professional when we step on stage and it's a really simple thing, but wow, it's like you said, if something's wrong, we are staring at it the whole time, and all we want to do is just have mercy on that poor speaker and run up there and just say, hey, guess what? You need to fix this because everyone's looking at it. So, I mean, we yeah, can't avoid so it. Sometimes it happens, but you have to be mindful and check. Yeah, and the last one is to choose clothes that work with microphones. This is so important. Yeah, if you are going to be, I always ask, and that's one question I ask my event planner, will I have an over-the-ear mic? Will I have a handheld mic? Will I have a clip-on, my belt mic? Um, You don't want that, you know, this is a fashion tip. The cord that comes from a wireless mic is not a fashion accessory. (laughs) And it shouldn't be hanging out your back pocket and dangling on the whole time you're talking or across your front or you know, if you're going to have to wear something where it's going from your ear behind you and clip on your back, then you need to put on a jacket so you can hide it or a sweater or a second layer where it can be tucked in and not dangling and hanging. Um, people just assume it's okay, but it's really not a fashion accessory. And you should be, as a professional, asking that question. Sometimes you have to change. In that case, I am always dressed in a way that I know that I'll be covered no matter what kind of microphone they give me. There you go. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking I'm, I always wear I always wear something that has pockets because I might have this big gangly thing I gotta tuck in. And yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's just just dress prepare because even if they tell you. You're going to have one when you get there. That one isn't functioning and they have to do something else. So, um, and, and just like a one-piece dress that has no waist to it um, right. where you have nowhere to, to, nowhere to yeah. put anything or hide You're anything, stuck. it just makes it, yeah, it makes it really miserable for you and for the sound tech. And it just, it just makes it tough, so don't go there. We just have a couple right. minutes left, Sarah. Let's get to secret number seven, which is the number one detractor from your message and the three ways to remedy it. Well, I would say the number one detractor from your message is fillers. And I identify fillers as and some, um, you know, like or just that what we hear from people all the time when they're speaking. And 
I'm sure, I think it was Toastmasters that used to have the people, maybe they still do probably, sit in the back and count how many ums they say yeah. during their presentation. Or, so a filler is really anything. I think the most common filler these days is actually you know. We've replaced um and like with you know. And it really, my husband, he he knows that I would say this about him, but he really struggles with using you know way too many times, and so we're really working on it. But he wasn't even aware he was doing it. So right. it's important that you're aware of it, but I would say that what you said, Marnie, earlier about recording yourself on video or audio, the one way to remedy it is to record yourself, and you will find out very quickly when you listen to yourself if you are doing that, even if you're doing it unconsciously. The, the best way to remedy it is to record yourself just even a simple iPhone on recording if you need to, to catch yourself and hear how you really sound. Yeah, that is such a great idea. I know for a while I was uh, taking the programs that I do here and I was doing my own editing and getting the ums out and stuff, and that was a high motivation for me not to use so many. <laughs> when you have Absolutely, to actually right? go in and see how many times you do it, oh, my goodness. <laughs> So it's that's so a, that's it's an important humbling. one. It is. Yes, but it if is. it's and hard for us so, to listen to, imagine how, yeah. many, how hard it is for our audience to listen to it. Especially if we have one particular filler that we use over and over yes. and over and over, and then it just it yeah. becomes it becomes burdensome for the audience. Yeah, it's it's distracting, and we don't want to do that. And we want to be asked back, and we don't want that event planner to be shaking their head in the back thinking, wow, I never <laughs> knew they had this terrible habit. Uh, another way to remedy is honestly just to practice. And we talked about being on our feet, practicing out loud, but the power of practicing is when you know your content, you won't be thinking. And that's one of the times we really end up using fillers is if we're thinking about what comes next in our talk. And there's no excuse. I remember recently I did a talk and I was pretty short on time for preparation and not the way I like to be. But the bottom line is that I recorded it and I listened back and I was just, I was like ashamed of myself because I couldn't believe how terrible my fillers were that Mm. day. And when I looked back, what was the difference? It was that I was short on time, and I didn't practice that message like others that I had practiced. Mm, That is such a great tip. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say the third way to remedy, Marnie, is to just pause. There's times when we need to give our audience a moment to catch up, to collect their thoughts, and there's nothing wrong with just breathing and taking a pause and looking at our notes and collecting where we're at. And then we won't be trying to fill the conversation and the empty space as a filler. We'll be actually just pausing, giving them a moment, making a note, catching their breath, thinking about what we've just said. And that gives us time to know where we're going next, and we won't use fillers then. So terrific. Well, this hour has flown by, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoy it. And thank you guys for being here. You can learn more about Sarah Beckman over at sarahbeckman.org, sarahbeckman.org, and me over at money.com. So we'll see you next week. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.